Welcome to the Jesus Famous Youth Teachings Podcast. Our vision is to see Jesus famous in the lives of the youth of our church. We want to see youth have opportunities for them to come to know Jesus in a complete and whole way and be united together in love, and most importantly, strengthened in the moments of discouragement. Jesus Famous Youth meets on Tuesday nights at 6 p.m. and has a middle school program available on Sundays at 11 a.m. Now, let's get into our teaching. The prophetess and his teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her onto a sick bed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation, unless they repent of their works. And I will strike her children dead, and all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart. And I will give, and I will give to each of you according to your works, but, um, but to the rest of you in Thyatira, who do not hold this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you I say, I do not lay on you any other burden, only hold fast what you have until I come. The one who conquers and who keeps my word until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron and as, um, as, as earthen pots and are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my Father. And I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Father, we do. We come before you right now, and thank you. Thank you for so many things that you give us and that you provide for us. Lord, ultimately, we thank you that you've provided for us the courage to be witnesses. Lord, the courage to withstand against what this world would call us to be, to withstand against our own desires at times and the desires of Satan, Lord, the desires of a world that doesn't know you. God, thank you that you've given us courage. You've given us boldness. Even as I look at this youth group here and from, from sixth graders all the way to seniors, I see young men and women that desire to know you desire to, to, to build their lives upon you and your truths and your faithfulness, and ultimately to share your love to others. So thank you for this group. Thank you for these young men and women. Spirit, I pray that you would speak far beyond my words tonight, that you would penetrate into hearts and minds, that, that these young men and women just be, would be changed as we finish up these seven letters to the seven churches, Lord. We thank you, Jesus. Thank you for Lily. Just be willing to do this, even though I asked her to do it at five o'clock. <laughs> And uh, Lord, that just thank you for her growing and maturing as, um, as it's just been such a joy to watch her grow uh, into this senior that's about ready to kind of be launched into the world to, to continue to be your light. Father, we praise you um, for her and her, her just group of friends that, that are just ready to love you and serve you, Jesus. In your name we pray this night. Amen. Thanks, Lily. Yeah. All right. Wrong Lily. Wrong Lily. You're doing it next week now. Yeah. <laughs> this Lily, Lily Mills. Um, I really text Lily Powers at like 5 o'clock. And her first text was, yeah, sure. And it was like, seriously, an hour before youth group? Um, so, yeah. All right. Well, as you see here, Revelation 2, 18 through 29, we're going to be going through that tonight. My title tonight is, It Takes Great Courage to Be a Witness for Jesus in a Dark Place takes great courage to be a witness for Jesus in a dark place. And so I thought it'd be interesting to kind of learn or to hear what does it mean to be a witness. And so let's uh, watch this movie. Bubba, if you want to turn on the lights a little bit. And uh, Kira, go and turn out the sound. And we'll get going.
When you hear the word witness, you might think of someone who sees something shocking or important and then shares their testimony with others. The word witness is used like this in the Bible too, but here's what's really fascinating. This word actually helps us understand the entire storyline of scripture. In the Bible, a witness is basically someone who sees something important or amazing. In Hebrew, this person is an aide, and in Greek, a martus. And if this person begins to share what they've seen, we call this bearing witness, in Hebrew, ud, and in Greek, martyreo. So in the story of Ruth, when Boaz buys land from Naomi's family, he calls together witnesses to see the transaction, so that if there's a later dispute about the land, they can bear witness about what they saw. So that's the basic meaning of the word witness. Now, if we follow this idea throughout the Bible, we learn that God wants a group of witnesses, people who see and experience him to ood or represent him to the world. So beginning with the story of the Exodus, the people of Israel witness Yahweh as the powerful king of the nations when he rescues them from slavery. Then he appoints this one nation to bear witness or ood to the rest of the nations about what they experienced. He calls them a kingdom of priests, or people who connect all other nations to Yahweh, the true God and King. But there's a big problem. The Israelites aren't good witnesses. In fact, they start worshiping other gods. So God raises up a chief witness, Moses, to ood or bear witness to the people who are supposed to be the real witnesses. When Moses meets with Yahweh on Mount Sinai, he sees and experiences God face to face. When he comes down, he oods, he bears witness to the people about his experience. He even writes a song as a witness so that they would never forget how God has cared for and rescued them. But as the story goes on, Israel does forget. They fail to truly see God, so they fail as his witnesses. So God raises up prophets who are like Moses to ood, to open their eyes to who their God really is. Like Isaiah. He has a vision of God as the cosmic king, and he's sent to Ud to bear witness to the Israel of his day because they're blind, they're corrupt, and they don't recognize God as their king. So Isaiah says that one day God will raise up the ultimate chief witness, a figure called the servant. He will open the eyes of the blind so that they can truly see Yahweh and bear witness to the nations that their God is the king who will rescue the world. And now, when we turn to the story of Jesus, we find him claiming to be that servant and witness spoken of by Isaiah. He's the ultimate witness, or in Greek, the martus. Crowds of people witness him saying that he's bringing God's kingdom, that it's here, right now, through him. They see Jesus healing people, even restoring sight to the blind. Many recognize who he is and respond to his message, but many others still refuse to truly see. Even the nation's leaders won't listen to him. Rather, they kill Jesus for bearing witness to God's kingdom, that is, for being a martyr. In fact, this is where the word martyr comes from. But then, after Jesus' death, something amazing happens. Jesus' friends see him alive from the dead, and they recognize that he is the divine king, Yahweh himself, who has come to rescue the world. After that, Jesus sends them out to martyreo, that is, to bear witness to the nations, to open their eyes to this risen king who has conquered death and who offers freedom and rescue and the hope of a new creation. And it's this story about Jesus that's been spread all around the world by faithful witnesses. And to this day, when someone hears the story of Jesus and experiences the love of God for all humanity, the most natural thing to do is to simply bear witness.
Yay. <laughs> so guys, I wanted you to, go and turn the lights back up there. So I wanted you to get kind of a grasp of what this word witness, what this word to, to bear witness really looks like. Because as we finish these seven letters, and hopefully most, I think most of you in this room have sat through the, the, the teachings. And hopefully if you've missed one, you've gone back to, to the JFY teaching podcast and listened to it and gotten a full grasp and a full picture of what Jesus is wanting to tell the seven churches in Asia Minor 2,000 years ago and ultimately to us today. And so as we finish this letter to Thyatira tonight, um, it's, it's very similar to the others, a very similar structure as we've seen in the other six letters. But really what we're going to glean from this tonight and what I want you to glean from tonight is the courage that God gives us, that Jesus wants us to understand that we have as his believers to bear witness, to be witnesses in the world, to, to have an impact in the sphere of influence that God has placed you in today, right here, right now, whether you're middle schooler or high schooler, just that witness that you are. If you look at these seven churches, you guys have seen this map a couple times, but it's this idea that, that this part of Asia, this, this kind of border of the, Ro the Roman Empire that was reaching out into the, the unknown world, the barbarian world, in itself was bearing witness of the power and the prestige and the religion or cults of Rome. And yet within this time and this great power of Rome, what you have are these seven cities that, that Paul had witnessed to and, and been around that we see in the, in, the, in the New Testament and ultimately in the book of Revelation where God sends out these letters, we see these shining lights in the midst of this area that's, that's preaching the cult of Rome. We see, no, the true life, the true love, the true salvation in Jesus. And this is ultimately where we're at today. Like, even though we sit on the, on the edge of, of the West Coast and we sit here in California and the Monterey Peninsula, the fact is, you and I, we have this fear of influence. We sit in a culture that is constantly preaching and evangelizing and proselytizing a secular culture. And yet here we sit as Christians, this shining light, getting to now share the true love, the true light, the true faithfulness of Jesus in such an amazing way. So I just wanted you to grasp truly what it means to be witnessed by watching that video. But what I also want you to understand tonight is that it takes courage. It really takes courage to serve Jesus. And as I look around this room, um, as I look at, at this youth group and the maturing and the growing that so many of you have done, you know, over the last close to nine months now, I've, I've gotten to build this, this team that's going to Thailand this summer. And it's been so amazing to watch these, these high schoolers grow and come to this place of, of team and come to this place of understanding their calling to go on this trip. And, and my hope is that they go on this trip and ex have, a, have an amazing experience that God is allowing them to have, but that they come back and they don't forget that. But they continue to bear witness. They continue to, to be a witness for Jesus, not just in Thailand, but now in the peninsula. So as Jesus starts this letter, very similar to the other... Um, the other type of letters that we've read, this statement about himself, right? This statement about himself. And, and it's one of the things that have drawn, has drawn me to ask the question, what is a statement about yourself? Last week, I asked you guys at the end of the teaching to do an I will statement. Did anyone do that? So something you've let, you learned from last week, did somebody do an I will statement? Fill in the blank, I will. Nobody did? Yeah, Hannah, you did? What was your I will statement from last week?
Okay. All right. Does somebody else have their hand? Yeah, Lily. Yes. <laughs> I will be more faithful in, in preparing for Thailand. So great. That's good. That's good, Lily. Anyone else? Anyone else feel that I will statement for something that God? Yeah. Go ahead, Gabe. Or uh, um, hold on, hold on. Gavin, thank you. Yeah. I knew that. Yeah. It's all Gavin. Go ahead, bud. Okay. Thanks for sharing that, man. That's awesome. Okay. Well, we, we, that's us. That's our testimony, right? That's us saying, kind of bearing witness of ourselves when we put down that I will statement and something that God convicts us of. And so that kind of goes along with all these statements that Jesus said about himself. As we read through every seven of these letters, at the beginning of each one is this statement about Jesus and who he is. So as we read verse 18 of chapter 2, we see, And to the angel of the church in, Ty- in Thyatira write, the words of the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. So in every one of these letters, as Jesus gives a description of himself, what we see is, is in that a prescription of the answer to what that church is going through. And so really in Thyatira, it wasn't a big city. There's some historians during that time that basically just say there's in Thyatira and other cities like it or small cities like it. There wasn't much about it, even though it was on the edge of the Roman civilization, even though it had good trade and good money. There just wasn't much about it. We read of how in the New Testament, Thyatira actually made this purple garment that no other city made. It was kind of this famous around the Roman world, this this vibrant purple garment. But ultimately, Jesus' prescription to the Christians in Thyatira is first off where he says the words of the Son of God. He just wants to remind them, because this would be a typical saying in in ancient Rome, to say you're the son of something, right? I'm the son of this man, Cornelius, who is a general in the army, or I'm a son of this man who is a banker, right? It would would basically showing that as a son of this man, my credentials go along with whatever my father is has done in his life, whatever my father has accomplished in his life. So Jesus is doing the same thing, basically saying that I am the son of God, that God's credentials fall on me too, that God's credentials, God's character falls on me. He says, I have flames like fire. He's pulling from chapter one, verse 14, where John first sees the description of Jesus, these flames of fire, of these eyes that, that are filled with fire that penetrate, that see to the inner souls of man. And he wants to remind the church in Thyatira or, or give them the, the vision of whose feet are like burnished bronze. I don't know if you've ever seen burnished bronze, but basically what it means is polished bronze. Bronze is one of the materials or one of the minerals that can truly be melted down and be, come out like really pure. It's kind of like gold in that sense. It's a softer metal. So when it's melted down, a lot of the dross and a lot of the, the chemicals and the other minerals and just the things that, that aren't pure come to the surface. And so you can purify bronze in a lot of the same way you can purify gold. But see, bronze is actually harder. It's, it's stronger than gold. And so a lot of foundations would be made out of bronze, of statues and things like that. So Jesus wants to remind them also that, that my feet aren't moving right? That I'm with you, that I'm steadfast. And ultimately, what, what Jesus wants us to understand is, as we read a description like this is it should invoke courage in us. It should invoke courage in us. And I got a couple quotes there that, that are just like, I don't know, I just like. So courage is, re- is resistance to fear, mastery of fear, not absence of fear. Mark Twain, you know, good writer there. Um, courage is being scared to death, but saddling up anyway. Good old John Wayne quote, good old cowboy quote. 
And ultimately, Joshua 1, 9, right? Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous? Do not be frightened for, or, or do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Just in case you didn't know, God said that. Um, the thing is, guys, that like, this should invoke a courage in us to be a witness. When we look at Jesus, when we have an encounter with Jesus like John did, and, and like every one of these Christians who would have read these seven letters, it would invoke just this courage to be witnesses even in the world that they were living in, even 2,000 years ago, even against the cult of Rome. And hopefully that continues to do with us today. Now, courage is an interesting thing. Sometimes courage is the one thing we feel before a great disaster <laughs> or big regret, right? We have a lot of courage and then we do something and it's like, I regretted that. Why did I have the courage to do that? But see, when our courage is based in Jesus, there's no regret afterward. Sometimes our courage is kind of like this, you know, where we tell the truth and maybe we shouldn't. I don't know, but I, I laughed my head off when I read that. The cat sitting there, sit down, let me tell you a story. Once upon a time, I ate your hamster this morning. Like, I don't know, I laughed my head off this when, I, when I found that one for some reason. So moving on, because apparently it's not that funny. You guys aren't laughing. All right. <laughs> Revelation. <laughs> Revelation 19, uh, 19 and 20, as we get into the text and the letter, he says, I know your works, your love and faith and serve and patience, endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. But I have this against you that you tolerate the woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual morality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. Now Jezebel is a character from the Old Testament that drew the children of Israel into sexual idolatry or the worship of, of idols through sexual acts. Not a good lady, right? Not a good picture. Um, it's just she, she is this, basically this picture of, of what draws men and women away from God. What draws men and women into, into worldly, lustful things rather than following the Lord. And so the, as Jesus writes this letter to Thyatira, he wants them to understand that, that um, some of you are tolerating this. You're tolerating this, this image of Jezebel, this, this mindset of, of idolatry, this mindset of sexual uh, idolatry, and this is not what I have for you. So reading a verse like this, this tells us that God, he cares deeply about us and how we give ourselves away. He cares about how we give ourselves away because ultimately when we give ourselves to idolatry, when we give ourselves to sexual immorality, what we're doing is giving away something precious for something very cheap. And this actually deteriorates our courage. See, ultimately when we fall into some type of sin like this or idolatry, it takes away our courage. It, 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 it dis disintegrates any type of witness that you could have for Jesus. So what are some ways you or I sell ourselves short, guys? What are some ways that we sell ourselves short in this life? Well, the first one is we, not, we do not continually grow and become a greater influence for God. See, there's this thing in your faith that, that doesn't get to stand still. If you call yourself a Christian, you don't get to stand still. You are, you're either backsliding and moving away from God or you're growing and maturing and moving closer to him. We don't get to stand still. So one of the ways that we sell ourselves short is thinking that I can just kind of hover in this area for a while. I can just kind of just kind of be my own person and do my own thing. But then ultimately, what you're actually doing is you're backsliding. As Jesus said there to the church in verse 19, he says, I know your works, your love and faith and, and patient endurance, that your latter works were greater than your first. So he's encouraging the church in Thyatira that you are, you are actually moving in maturity. You're moving in patience, endurance. You're moving in a place where, where, where when you first started, it was rough. <laughs> when you first started, you didn't quite get it. 
But now as I see your church growing and maturing, even though some of you are compromising, I still see strength. I see a growth in courage. And so one of the ways we sell ourselves short is by thinking we can stand still in our faith, but we can't. We need to keep moving forward. We need to keep growing. Number two, that we tolerate idols and counterfeits that cheapen life. That cheapen life. Meaning in the sense it brings cheapness into our life when we tolerate idols and counterfeits. Things that aren't substance, things that, that don't bring us the true joy and peace that Jesus brings us, these counterfeits in our life that we think are real, they look real, they feel real, but ultimately they're just kind of chaff, they're fake, they're dust in the wind. The first part of verse 20 there says, but I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess. See, even the fact that she called herself a prophetess was showing that she was a counterfeit, that she was this woman that was drawing the men and women of, of Thyatira into idolatry, into the worship of false things, things man-made, things that could not save them, could not bring them health or courage or peace or joy or salvation. And so they were cheap. And yet when we tolerate those things, it cheapens us. Last one there, there, we sell ourselves for pennies. When Jesus shows us, we are worth diamonds. If any of you had a diamond in this room, some of you ladies do, I know, um, some of the married women do. I don't know. Where's Meg? She's got a big diamond. Have you ever seen Meg Becker? <laughs> she got a big diamond on her finger. Um, the thing is, you guys, like, like, you would not give that away for a penny. Even if someone's like, well, that's one ring or that's one diamond. I got 100 pennies. Like, you wouldn't do it, right? Nobody in here is that stupid. You wouldn't give that away. So why then do... <laughs> stop, gentlemen. Stop. So then why do we give away ourselves for when we are, Jesus has shown us that we're worth infinite, that you are, gentlemen, did I lose you over here? Shh. That you're worth so much to your God. You are worth so much to Jesus, and yet we give ourselves away for pennies. And verse, the second part of verse 20 says, is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual morality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. In a nutshell, what Jesus is saying is, listen, this woman Jezebel, or this mindset of Jezebel, is, is selling you counterfeits, you're buying it, you're giving up the diamonds, you're giving up the goods that I've given you, and you're receiving just nothing in return. You think you're receiving something of value, but, but ultimately these idols, you guys, the sexual morality, what it does is it just, it's a quick fix, and then it just passes. And you gotta go for the next, and then you gotta go for the next. And ultimately, when you, when you finally hit your rock bottom, everything that was worthy in you has been diminished and broken and, and like tainted because we've given it all away. So this is Jesus' calling to the church in Thyatira, saying, listen, I see that your works are growing, but there's some of you that are tolerating, and we need to look at this because what this does is it cheapens our courage. It diminishes our courage to be witnesses. Continuing on, verse 21 and 23, he says, I gave, uh, I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent for her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her onto a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her will throw it into great tribulation unless they repent of her works, and I will strike her children dead, and all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart, and I will give to each of you according to your works. Now, this is Jesus' consequence. This is what Jesus is saying, is that if you continue to tolerate this idolatry, you continue to tolerate this, this, this immorality, there will be consequences. This is basically what God is saying, that he allows real and practical consequences for the choices we make. Sometimes we don't balance out when we make a choice, even as a middle school or as a high school, there are real consequences to those choices. 
Maybe some of you have learned that in life. You know, maybe your parents are big on that. I know, I know my wife and I are. It's like, hey, you made a choice. Now deal with the consequence, you know. My daughter, she's not here so I can talk about her. But, like, she'll say, can I do this? And my response is, hey, you can do whatever you want as long as you're willing to deal with the consequences, right? There's always a consequence, whether good or bad, after the choices we make. And so, basically, why is it so important to understand and take seriously the choices we make? Why is it so important? Well, we see there in verses 21 through 23, the, the, basically the progression of, of someone that chooses to not repent, chooses not to follow after the Lord, chooses not to, to be a man or woman that, that seeks after Jesus and his way and his purpose for his life, but to choose the way of the world, to choose what the world says has value. And ultimately, those choices, when those choose to, to, to fulfill your own desires and your own flesh and to say, God's way is not my way, God's way is not perfect, God's way, God's way is not best for me, I'm going to do my own, then ultimately what God is saying, then those people will deal with the consequences of those actions, right? Because basically you said, God, I don't want you in my life. So God is going to say, okay, then you deal with the consequences. You deal with the actions and the choices that you are making. See, with Jezebel, it was, it was ultimately idolatry and sexual immorality, which brings a certain set of consequences. And we see this in this description. I don't want to get too graphic, but the fact is, and you can read into it, that, that there are certain consequences to the choices that Jezebel and those that were following after her, the mindset of her, were making. It could be different. Maybe it's a substance that you choose to start taking, and that substance, that substance leads into a, a habit, and that habit leads into a lifestyle. Maybe it's a relationship. You're seeking after a boy or a girl, and the fact is that relationship that you're compromising in then becomes something that, that you are committed to, and that, that person becomes an idol in your life, and eventually they become a god that you worship, and you're willing to sacrifice your faith and your character and your integrity for. Right? Maybe it's a mindset. Man, I need to be this type of person, and this type of group of people, they accept me this way, and so, so you start acting like them and talking like them and fitting in with them, and then eventually it becomes this, this complete identity that, that just and raptures you, and your character is based in it, and who you are as a person is based in it. See, it, it can be all kinds of things, but the progression we see here started with a choice that then became an action. Jesus describes this in actually Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 and 14. He says, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it, uh, by it are many, for the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life and those who find it are few. Jesus is basically saying here that, listen, like, to stand up for Jesus, to stand up for your faith, to have the courage to be a witness is difficult. Even to the point to go through the narrow gate, it's hard to go through. It's a single-person line. Right? you got to make that choice to go through that narrow gate. Your parents can walk through it with you. I can't walk through it with you. Like, your youth leader can't. you got to make the choice to walk through that when the gate to destruction is wide. It's big, right? Many can go through it, and you can just follow the crowd and fit in, but it takes courage to break from the crowd, to break from society, to break from the social norms that, that are so much against your faith to say, no, I'm going to follow after Jesus. I'm going to say no to myself at times. I'm going to say no to what I want. I'm going to say yes to what God wants because I want to go through that narrow gate. I want the good consequences of falling after Jesus. Man, I don't want the progression of my life to be what Jesus is talking about here in verses 21 through 23 of Jezebel. Now continuing, you guys, this last little section says, um, but to the rest of you in Thyatira who do not hold this teaching, who have not learned that what some call the deep things of Satan, 
To you I say, I do not lay on you any other burdens. Only hold fast to what you have until I come. So Jesus looks back at those that, that are continuing through Thyatira, that are being witnesses, that are building the courage to be men and women for Jesus' kingdom. And what this says about our God is that he knows you and how much you can handle in this life. So you may be in a hard time. You may be in a difficult time in life right now. But you got to understand that God knows that. He knows how much you can handle. He knows how much you can, you can take in this life. He knows it. He knows you in such deep ways. So how do I or how do you trust God to give us what we can handle in our daily lives? So how do you know that? How do you know you can trust God? It's, it's hard to always believe that. It's hard to always feel that. Um, it's like when I lift weights, there's kind of a common saying when you lift weights, if it hurts, don't do it. Right? Like if it starts to hurt, stop it. Just don't, just stop. But see, the thing is, like, God knows you even deeper than you know yourself. And so how are some ways? Well, the first one there is the church um, and Christian community. See, to be involved with a, a real healthy Christian community will, will kind of put you in this place where, where people around you will speak into your life. When you're going through that hard time, when you, you're bearing a burden, they can bury that, bear that burden with you. They can walk through that with you. They can mourn with you through that, that dark season. It's kind of like bringing, bringing up uh, CJ and Anaya tonight and praying over them. I know it's hard. They're leaving their community. They're moving to a new city. You guys don't know anybody there, right? It's like, you're going to be the new kids, man. And that you've built such a community here, such a reputation. Anaya, a good reputation. CJ, I don't know, but, you know, it's like, <laughs> I'm teasing. But the thing is, like, we pray over them, and we bear that sorrow with them as they move, as they, as they journey to the next season. And that Christian community reminds us that God is, is going to walk with me through this because his community is walking through this with me. Our individual process and sanctification. This reminds us that God is working in us. See, every one of us are in this faith journey in different places. Some of you are newer to the faith and you just started coming to church. And your sanctification process, your growing in God, is, is in a different place than one of you guys who have literally gone to Calvary your whole life. You started in Little Calvary Kids and you've worked all the way up, right? And it's like, this has been your home church. You're in a different place than someone else. I'm in a different place than my leaders. They're in a different place than me. But see, that all that reminds us that God is working in every one of us individually. And hey, man, we look to someone that's older and more mature, and we go, okay, they got through being a middle schooler, and they're still following Jesus. You high schoolers can look at these young adults and say, they got through high school, and they're still following Jesus. You young adults can look at some of us married people and go, they got through being a young adult. Like, like I look to Pastor Jeff, I look to older pastors, that, that, and I go, man, they got through it. Not many of them did more than five years of youth ministry, so I don't know many of them that have done this many years of youth ministry, but hopefully there's a youth pastor that can look at me and go, hey, he got through it, I can do it, right? The thing is, like, like our sanctification process reminds us that God has us. Lastly, not running from hard situations, but embracing and finding joy in them. So the book of James tells us to take all kinds of, of various trials and find joy in those things. See, if you run from those hard situations, if you run from those hard things in life, then you're just bound to have to repeat it. God can't work in you. If you choose to run from that hard situation, that hard thing that you got to face in life, a lot of times when we make a choice and there's a consequence facing us, we don't want to deal with the consequence, so we run. We make excuses, we play the victim, and ultimately we're just bound to make that choice again because we're not letting God move us and shape us. 
See, a vine just wants to grow closer to the sun, right? A vine just wants to grow so that it can just grow closer to the sun, get better rays and vitamin, I don't know, what is it vitamin D, D and rain, all that kind of stuff. But see, a vine dresser, right, someone who can, who can manage the grapevine, doesn't necessarily want it just to grow up, right? Because eventually it'll become too, too, you know, too high or too you know, weak and long, and it'll just fall over. It can't bear grapes. So the vine dresser actually will come up and, and move the vine in the direction he wants it to go and actually be able to crack the, the fibers of it just enough to be able to just kind of like, just kind of crack it just enough, not to break it off, but just to make it move in the direction he wants. And it hurts, I'm sure. I'm not a vine, but I'm sure cracking things, that, <laughs> moving things in the opposite direction isn't good. But see, the vine dresser knows. And see, God knows you. He knows me. And I may want to go in this direction because it feels good and I'm comfortable here. But God says, no, no, no. I want you to be stronger. I want you to bear more fruit. I want you to be more of a witness for me. I want you to grow in courage and, and boldness. And so I'm going to move you this way because it's better for you. And it's going to hurt for a minute, but you're going to be stronger afterwards. So don't run from those things, but, but find joy in them. And lastly, as Jesus, Jesus finishes to, to this church, as he does in every one of these letters, calling them conquerors or victorious, he says, the one, who, the one who conquers and who keeps my words until, um, until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. And as earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from the Father, and I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the churches, what the Spirit says to the churches. Now, what this says about man, you guys, as victorious Christians, God will give us the ability to overcome this present age. See, as we walk into this world, as we choose to be witnesses, as you've read these seven letters, and, and we see this example of these lights in a very dark world, in this Roman cult, this Roman society, we live in a secular society that that doesn't hold our God's values, doesn't hold what God believes. And yet we sit here tonight as a youth group saying, like, no, I, I want to hold what God has. I want to believe what God says. I want to live as God tells me to. We raise our hand. We say, yes, the, like, this is what I want to be. And we have to believe that, that in that, God will give us what we need. He'll give us the ability, that courage to overcome, to be witnesses in this present age. So what are some ways we overcome our present age, guys? What are some of the ways that we overcome the world, the secular society that we breathe in every day? You guys that go to public school, man, you are soaked in that secular society every day. So how do we overcome this? Well, first off, we stand on the truth of God's word. There's a world of so many fallacies, so many lies that you can hear, so many things that you can believe that are half-truths or half, like half, you know, salvation things. The fact is that we stand alone on God's word. On, on, on scripture alone is where your truth needs to be found. Number two there, do not be afraid to step into difficult situations with the intention of sharing Jesus. So I talked about those, those difficult situations just a second ago, not running from them, but step into them with the intention of bringing Jesus into those situations. See, when we step into a hard conversation, when we step into a conversation about, about abortion, you guys, or LGBTQ+, or we step into a conversation about the, the, you know, I don't know, capital punishment, whatever it is, right, one of those hot topic, like, buttons, our intention should always be to bring Jesus, not just your own opinion, not just because you're a really good debater and you're, you're really, I don't know, everyone loves you or you're popular, I don't know, but, like, bring Jesus into those situations. Like, overcome the world by constantly bringing Jesus into it. 
Number three, they're always keep towards the light, even in the dark times. It's, it's like the idea, like, man, like, no matter how dark it gets, always head towards the light. <laughs> you know, unless you're, like, dying, then don't go to the light. No, um, but, like, always go to Jesus. Always go to Jesus. You know, even as a pastor, even as a youth pastor, one of the books I read at a young age about teaching the gospel is in every town in America, there's a church street. Right? Or a cross street. Every, every town in America, there's a church street, right? especially the older ones. And to always bring your congregation or your group back to church street. No matter how many different roads you take, right, by the end of your sermon, jump over hedges, swim through rivers, get them back to church street. So it's like the idea you guys always go, go, go towards the light of Jesus. In every situation, man, no matter what you find yourself in, keep going towards the light. Keep going towards Jesus in everything you do. This is how we overcome the world in this present age. It's not about how strong you are, how popular you are, how smart you are, how good of a speaker you are, but it's about your faith. It's about walking and having that courage to be the witness that Jesus is calling you to be. All right, very similarly, like we did last week, I want to ask you guys, based on, on what you experienced or just experienced in this teaching, what act of obedience is God asking you to take? And I would ask you to complete this sentence below, I will blank. Right? I will blank. And maybe I never call on you. Maybe you never have to say it out loud here. But I encourage you to go before the Lord and say, Lord, what is something that you're calling me to obedience in? And fill that in. And then ultimately, guys, not today, Satan. Not today. <laughs> so, Father, we thank you for this time. We give you glory. We give you praise. Father, let small group time just be blessed. Um, be with our, our groups as they just get to glorify you and talk about this teaching and talk about what they're, what's going on in their lives. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope to see you at Youth Group on Tuesdays at 6 p.m. If you'd like more information about JFY or have a question, reach out to us at joshuas at calvary.com or DM us on Instagram at ymcalvary.